Good morning and welcome to The Hair Affair. This is Christine, your host for this morning. And today is Veterans Day. So a great day to be honoring our veterans and also a great day to close out our special series honoring our veterans and finishing up with part four, which is this little special surprise. But first, before we go on with our story, I have a little something for you. November 11th is the one day set aside each year to honor those who have served and continue to serve our nation, not to be confused with Memorial Day, the day we pay tribute to fallen service members. Veterans Day offers a great opportunity to teach civilians about the sacrifice service members and their families make year round. How do you plan to celebrate this year? Hmm. I don't know. How about you grab a cup of coffee, join me in the beauty lounge, and we'll get this last day going. Welcome back to the program today. I have in studio with me, my dad or AKA Master Chief, because that's the only thing he listens to when I'm trying to talk to him. I will let you introduce yourself because you have quite the title. I'm a retired Master Chief, Master at Arms. Okay, and you were? AKA, for those civilians that don't know what the Navy terminology is, that's military police. Okay, thank you. Um, But you spent how many years? in 27 years and three months and how many in the reserves no reserve time all active duty they consider you as a fleet reservist because you can be called active duty up to 30 years at the end of a 30-year career so i enlisted in 63 i was done in 93 because that was a concern at one point possibly for you going back kuwait kuwait right were quite young when you joined 17 years old three of us we were going to join the air force the air force recruiter wasn't there he was off messing around somewhere navy recruiter was there and we all looked at each other and said let's go to the navy what do you got for us and to this day you still don't know how to swim i probably do i learned in navy oh so the truth finally comes out don't care to swim doesn't impress me at all All especially when you're ten thousand miles out of sea and it's five miles to the closest land straight down. You know, you gotta sink, hold your breath, run. Talk to me about your experience. What what made you decide to join the military? All three of us, it was after the Cuban crisis of 62, we decided we wanted to go in the military and get out of Sheridan, Wyoming. What was your experience or your feeling with the Cuban crisis? The fact that it was down there and we knew it wasn't supposed to be there. The Russians were. Mm-hmm. And we decided we wanted to do something so we joined the service afterwards because the Cuban crisis was 62 we joined in 63 right at the end of our junior year in high school where did you end up going to basic training san diego california naval station san diego and then when you were done with basic training i went to a school supposed to go be a ship fitter which was a welder and i ended up going to yeoman school which is like a secretary because I could type, and they kept holding me over from classes. So chief that was in charge said, you might as well try that, because if you get on board ship or any place, they know you can type. That's where you're going to be. Is that what you wanted to do? Didn't bother me any. I figured, what the heck. Was that a two-month training for your position? About two months. Then after your training, where did you head to? A Naval Station Treasure Island in San Francisco Bay. I was standing at the airport in San Diego when I left the day John F. Kennedy was shot and killed. And we got stuck in Denver on our way home on a leave. For how long? 
about 24 hours because there was so much high-ranking military going through. I figured that they would probably come in on private or... No, they were all catching commercial flights. Quite the time to be in the military experiencing that. What did? How did you feel that your commander-in-chief was shot? Well, we didn't know it was going to be recalled and our, our leaves canceled and didn't know what was going to happen. You got to remember, we just came out of boot camp. Right. And schools commands. And the so last we, thing you expected to happen. Yeah. First the Cuban Missile and then JFK. Yep. To go through that. What was the first ship that you were out on? USS New Jersey. I had gotten out of the service for about three, about a month and a half. Re-enlisted, was at Naval Station San Diego, waiting orders, supposed to go to a destroyer, and ended up with orders to the USS New Jersey battleship. Had to go from San Diego to Philadelphia and put it in commission. Then we came around to the Panama Canal and were stationed in Long Beach, went through refresher training and then overseas to Vietnam. How long was refresher training? Three, four weeks. Right. When you got a crew of about 1,600 people, everybody's got to be trained. Sure. You are a Vietnam veteran. Yep. And I know the stories that you have shared with me as far as your length of time and what you did over there, but I didn't know if you wanted to inform our listeners of how long you spent in Vietnam. No big deal. It's first tour was over there on the New Jersey until uh, April of 68 and uh, 69, excuse me. And then I came back, I got assigned to the USS Hooper, a little destroyer escort out of Long Beach. From there, I went to recruiting duty, got tired of recruiting duty, terminated my shore duty and went in country Vietnam for almost two years. Okay. And my job was as Navy advisor assigned to Military Assistance Command MACV, which was the uh, Army headquarters. Got to fly around on choppers, and all you could think about was one bullet and this thing can crash. Yeah, no kidding. Wow, so you actually spent a, a lot more time in the air than you did at sea. Just about. <laughs> Ever consider the Air Force? Nope. <laughs> oh, come on now. Not after that. <laughs> Had enough of it? Yep. Okay. Well, after Vietnam, where did you end up? Lowry Air Force Base, Denver, Colorado. Well, I always thought that was interesting. Navy was in the middle of the country. There was an Air Intelligence Training Center there where the Navy officers went and Navy enlisted. And we had Navy instructors there. We had uh, Precision Measurement Equipment Lab. The Navy owned all the equipment. It was test equipment for electronics technicians. There was a medical equipment repair school over at Fort Fitzsimmons Army Hospital where we had a lot of corpsmen going to schools. And I was assigned to the admin unit, which later my commanding officer decided I ought to be an instructor. So I was an instructor at the intelligence school. And what did you instruct? Typing, mostly. <laughs> that was kind of your life, wasn't it? Pretty much. Of all your travels and all the different countries that you've been to, what did you enjoy seeing the most? Different than the United States, looking at the culture, see what's going on. Mm -hmm. Is there one that sticks out to you the most? Not really. It's just uh, I like to tell people if they think they're going to go overseas, be prepared and study the culture. Because sure. those that don't study it are the ones that the people of those countries probably dislike the most. If you know a little bit about the culture, they don't mind you too much. You can help them. Some of them want to learn a little bit of English. If you talk to them, you treat them like anybody else. They 
pretty nice to you. It's just like when I was in Vietnam, I have Ted over there. They said that you not to bother the Vietnamese families during that time. We, my advisory group that I was with, we were one of the few American families invited to a Vietnamese sailor's family's uh, celebration of Tet. And what did that look like? Tet in Vietnam is a combination of Easter, birthdays, Thanksgiving, Christmas. It's big holiday area for them. I don't think I've ever heard you talk about that before. No. I know you also trained drug dogs. I was a kennel master, yes. Yeah. We had drug dogs, attack dogs, tracking dogs, bomb dogs. How do you train a bomb dog? How do you train a bomb dog? Very carefully. You cannot, contrary to popular belief of these uh, nice TV shows you have, a bomb dog can't be trained as a drug dog, and a drug dog can't be trained as a bomb dog. Because if you did that, you might get one of them mixed up and end up getting blown up. A lot of times, too, movies now that are coming out about Iraq, Afghanistan, and the soldier will have their partner is a dog that goes between their legs. and Most of the dogs that they're using there are bomb dogs. And that. Okay, so that's a bomb dog. Most of those are bomb dogs because a lot of IEDs and that in the deserts. We didn't have the bomb dogs in Vietnam that I know of. I know we had dogs over there a lot of it. You spent a lot of your time in Bangor, Washington. I was the first security chief they had. We commissioned a base. I was the first base for the Ohio-class Trident submarines. Yeah, the submarines, huh? Yep, I didn't serve on them. <laughs> and you wouldn't serve on aircraft carriers? I don't serve on anything you purposely sink or anything you land airplanes on my roof. And you got to pick that choice. That's right. <laughs> anything else was open season. When you retired, you were in Virginia, Norfolk. Yep. How long were you in Norfolk? Eight years. I was there with the USS Shenandoah. That was the only ship I had on the East Coast. I went to the Mediterranean during Gaddafi's time when he decided to raise Cain in Libya. Mm-hmm. After that, I was the shore patrol officer for the Norfolk, Virginia Beach, basically called the Tidewater Area. I had a hundred and some shore patrolmen, one of only two E-9s at the time never had that job. If you were to combine things together, how many years do you think that you probably spent in total on ship at sea versus being? Tour duty? Mm-hmm. 50-50, pretty much. What was the longest in at sea? My sea time, we, we as we got seniors, our, my rotation was three years shore, three years sea. I don't think that I spent any more than three and a half years on sea duty. You're subject to any time, anywhere. Sure. You're on sea duty. When you got to go, you got to go. That's right. And sometimes that could be one o'clock in the morning or... That's right. Right. And when they're on the East Coast, when I was on the ship, when they have, they have what they call hurricane anchorage. And when the hurricanes come up the coast, guess what? ship gets underway and you better have your clothes with you because you're going to go out until they say it's clear and you can come back in. So basically you go out just in the chance that you need to... Yeah, it's, you got to stay away from the piers because otherwise you could, in a hurricane you could end up on a pier or you could end up on shore. It depends on how big the hurricane is. It would move a ship like that? Oh, yeah, it will. You get some strong winds. The only ships I have been on would be the Missouri and Hawaii. Same size as the New Jersey. Okay. 
And then... 59,000 tons. Taking that tour and going down to the mess hall and the rooms, it was super tight quarters. I, I think I would probably go insane if I had to live that tight. What do you do when you're on ship? I don't know if you have off time. What do you do? Work. The whole time? Most of the time. You get time off, but what you didn't do by the time you get off is enough to eat in the evening and maybe watch a movie on the mess decks and then go hit your rack. Right. Get ready to get up next morning about 6 o'clock. Start it all Start over again. Start all over again. Hmm. You don't mind it. You get out there, you get used to it. doesn't bother you. You got your sea legs anyway, so. Battleship doesn't bounce too much. <laughs> well, I'm just saying that because you always talked about your sea legs. A little destroyer escort that I was on was more like a submarine than it was a ship. It went through the waves. It didn't go over them. And you didn't like that so much? It didn't bother me. And it was just a big cork. I'm probably one of the few that can honestly say I was never seasick, so I probably made a few seasick. Now, are you, is that something that you're just going to take to the grave and not tell the truth on? Are you really telling never the truth? Never been seasick. Hmm. Never. I've heard a few of your stories about trying to make other men sick. It's not bad. <laughs> <laughs> do you want me to share a story, or do you want to share a story? Let's hear one of your stories. Well, well, one of my shipmates one time, when I was on a little destroyer escort, it was a reserve training ship. And what that means is there was only a skeleton crew of active duty regular Navy on it, and everybody else was that was assigned to the ship were reservists. And we'd take them out when they were on their two-week training or weekend training. They were supposed to run the ship, but we ran it most of the time because they were always seasick and in their racks looking for a bucket to puke in. Mm-hmm. You enjoyed that a little too much, didn't you? Didn't bother me. <laughs> My little buddy, he dropped a... Found a tomato worm where he got it. I don't know, but Gross. dropped it in a chief mashed potatoes once. <laughs> smashed it. But, oh know, no! We kind of laughed about it, just the guy didn't make it off the mustache without getting sick. Oh jeez. Well, I guess that's how you found your fun then. Yeah. Pull a little tricks here and there. <laughs> little pranks, being nice. Uh huh. Got to do something. Keep saying. Well, see, get out of your head. I guess. Did you have anybody? that you really looked up to while you were in the service or that influenced you, that inspired you? Well, it all depends on what you had. Because you can take a lot of us that came back from Vietnam had this I don't care attitude. Say what you want, but don't say the wrong thing because you're allowed to be laid out. Mm-hmm. And uh, me and the chief, I was in E6, and me and the E7, I called him out, and Monday morning my CO was looking for him. Was looking for you? Yep. Because he could court-martial me for that. And all he did was chew me out about it. He didn't care for that guy anymore like I did. So he made me his secretary, and right after that I became an instructor at the intelligence school. But I have to admit, if it wasn't for him, I would have probably been in a lot of trouble. Yeah. I saw him a few years later, and he was surprised to see me, and he asked me if I was still a E6. I said, no, I'm an E8. What did he say? He said, well, I guess I got into your head a little bit, and you listened. Did you? Yeah, evidently. <laughs> and a short time after that, I'm 89, so. Yeah. That's as high as you can go without going into an officer program. Why didn't you? As I told a commanding officer one time, you don't want me in your wardroom as a junior officer. When I got junior officers coming out of the academy and I've got more experience, it wouldn't be too nice. Because you're talking, as I always put it, 
when my CO finally understood it was I used to always say when you experts get done messing things up, call us professionals and we'll straighten it out for you. There's a lot of truth to that, though. There is, because we are the ones that worked with the stuff day in and day out, not the officers. Right. Because they changed every place they went, but our job was the same no matter where it was. Doing the same type of stuff. So who's going to know it better, me or the officer? Right. Yeah. No, I hear you. What is one of your biggest memories that you take away from your time in service? Last June, I was out 33 years. Does it seem like yesterday? No. There's times I wish I was back there, but... Sure. But in today's military, I'd be court-martialed because today is not the way the service was back then. It's too easy now. Back then, you worked. Now they don't, as far as I'm concerned. Not what I'm hearing and people I've talked to that's been out of the military not too long ago. And that's just in general. That's not Navy-specific. Everything. Mm -hmm. All services. Mm-hmm. You're pretty proud of your country and your patriotic and your time of service. And it, I mean, it is a huge chunk of your life and there's a lot to be proud of there. And looking at this picture right here. That's what I got promoted to E9. Describe your thoughts in, your, in that time and what year that was and what, you were, what was going through your mind. I was on the Shenandoah a long time ago. That was probably 84. 84? 84. My first wife, who died of cancer later, and the one pinning it is Lieutenant Dubay. She now lives in up around uh, Kalispell, Montana, somewhere oh. up in that area. She was a lieutenant then. She retired as a commander. She didn't know how to take me at times, being the nice guy that I am all the oh, time. Oh, well, I mean, isn't that anybody, though? Well, I'm always a nice guy. Just ask me, I'll tell you. Uh-huh. <laughs> right. You're getting your E9 here. That's when I was promoted, yep. And, um... You know, just looking at your face, I can't tell if you're... I was wondering who was going to stick me. Is that what it was? Yeah, I don't know. The look on, on your face, suckers. you're like, I don't know that I like being in this position right now. I was waiting for somebody to stick me. Knowing the lieutenant, she probably would have if she got a chance. I think that's great. I'm going to post that on my website. <laughs> <laughs> I know you put in a lot of time, and I know that you probably have a million and two stories that you could talk about, and maybe some that you don't want to talk about, which is okay. I'm not going to ask you to. Um, I know... Every, every duty station was different. Everything was something different to do. Mm-hmm. Well, you did quite a few different things. Yeah, when I was a young one, I was on staff duty in Treasure Island. That was staff duty. Set an operations center and did typing and all that. Answer phones, file, like any secretary would. Then when I went to, to the New Jersey, I was uh, what they call a log room yeoman, which means I was the administrative type. I had two guys working for me. And we took care of all the engineering manuals and requests and job orders and everything else because we also repaired our own ship. Then when I went to Hooper, that was... The destroyer escort after that, we uh, trained reserves all the time. Mm -hmm. And on there, I was also qualified as the small arms instructor for the reserve crew. After that, let's see, where did I go? Oh, I went to recruiting duty, and I got tired of that. Not your... You had to be in a clique. Oh. I, was, I wasn't in that clique. What did that clique look like? It was, I guess, if you liked, if you were in the... The click, everybody did everything together and all that other, and I just wasn't there. Mm -hmm. And after about two years, I said, I had enough of this, and I volunteered to go to Vietnam, so I went to Vietnam. 
and my job there was I was uh, with the inspector, basically inspector general's office. We had good bases. I went to Navy bases where we had uh, Navy assigned to Vietnamese naval bases to make sure security was good. Later on, they transferred me to the Navy shipyard in Saigon, and we had to make sure that all the uh, Navy bases that the Vietnamese and Americans were on had parts that they needed for, for our river boats and all that other. That's where I got to fly around on helicopters I didn't like flying around in. Mm-hmm. But didn't have much choice. It was, it was about the only way, well, I worked out going down the Delta area, so that was about the only way you got around down there. Mm-hmm. It's understandable. Then when I came back, naturally, I was Larry Air Force Base. After Larry Air Force Base, what did it do? oh, I went and put the USS David R.A. in the commission. It was named after a Medal of Honor Navy corpsman. One of the first, it was part of the gas turbine program. Those ships had four jet engines on them. And that was unusual? No, it was a new program. It was, they were faster, cheaper to run. Mm-hmm. And they could do a lot more maneuverability than they could with the old oil burners. Because they could get underway right now where you had a, the old black oil ships with the 600-pound boilers. You had to, by the time you lit off to be able to get underway, it was anywhere from 12 to 24 hours, depending on how big your ship was. With a gas turbine ship, you turn the key and get underway. Wow. The gas turbine engines on those were the same thing as a DC-10 jet has. Wow. And that was, that, I left it because that's when they converted me to Master Arms. I had to go to Fort McClellan, Alabama to military police school. We didn't have our own police type school, so we had to attend the military police school in Fort McClellan. Where your mother went. Well, I was just going to ask you, what year was that that you were in Fort McClellan? That would have been 77, something like that. 70, 79? 79, okay. Oh, so that was after mom then? Yeah. Okay, never she mind. I was there. like, hmm, she that'd be crazy. I, oh, she wasn't there when I was there. Okay. Then after I went there, I went to the Monticello. We carried Marines on that. Then after the Monticello, I went to good old Naval Station, or Naval Submarine Base, Bangor, Washington. Mm-hmm. We had security on there. And then you're on the Shenandoah. Terminated shore duty and volunteered for the Shenandoah. I was an E-8. Told the detailer I wanted an E-9 billet because I was already an E-8. So I got assigned to the Shenandoah, which was the E-9 billet, and went to the East Coast via the Panama Canal for about the third or f- about the fifth time I've been through it. <laughs> and how long would it take you guys to get through that? All day. I'm surprised you weren't scraping. New Jersey we did. They literally drug us through it. Oh, really? Because it has a rubber liner, and we were a few inches wider than the liner. Oh, my goodness. And it burned the paint off the side when they pulled us through. Yep. And I even got to re-enlist on the New Jersey going across, or not New Jersey, the Shenandoah, Shenandoah. going across the Continental Divide in the Panama Canal. Yep. I actually have a picture of that still, so... I usually have that one hanging up, I believe, on my uh, Veterans Day haircuts that I do. And while I was on there, I had to go back to Fort McClellan to go to corrections course, learn how to run a brig, mm. a jail, federal uh, regulation-wise. And how long did you run a brig? All the time I was on the Shenandoah was mine. Yeah. And after I left the Shenandoah, they assigned me to the Naval Station brig at Naval Station, Norfolk. And shortly after that's when my CO decided it was a good time to get rid of me, and I ended up being a 
show patrol officer. Of course, I've kind of volunteered. I was going to say, <laughs> let me go which, now. Which way did that go? Huh? So a brig on a ship. I mean, there really can't be that many people in it at once. Never I, had anybody on mine. I was going to say. Mine had a lot of stainless steel, and I used to take the young recruits down there and say, that got assigned to the ship, if you get in trouble, you see all that stainless steel, you're going to shine it, and it's going to be, I can be able to comb my hair in it. Like a mirror. That's right. <laughs> Therefore, I never had any guests in my rig. Mm-hmm. How did you get mail? Oh, you didn't stand the mail boy watch? came out on a helicopter. Did it? I always assumed it was by helicopter, but then I didn't know if that was right or not. Depends on the type of ship. We had a helicopter. We had a uh, pad for helicopter. So we could get our mail on board. Well, you know, you see all these movies on TV, and I know there's that one very specific movie that mom absolutely loves to watch over and over and over. That you love to watch with her so much. No. No. Because it's all wrong. The movie Battleship is all wrong. And it drives you crazy. That's right. <laughs> What's the biggest inconsistency? You don't get a ship underway like the supposed Missouri was in there as quick as they did because, number one, it don't have no fuel on it. Number two, it doesn't have any ammunition on it. And you ain't going to get it underway with the half a dozen people they had on there. Sorry about that, Charlie Brown. Mm-hmm. It don't happen. Mm-hmm. Especially when you got... Uh, eight boilers on there to light off. Well, dang it, Hollywood. They're lying to us. If they got any fuel on there, they must have been sucking salt water. Maybe it was a thing. (laughs) Maybe the aliens got it underway. Hey, I like that. Aliens. (laughs) It was the aliens. Well, you know, that's a topic for another time. We don't want to get political on this one. So, Anyways, is there anything with your experience and your time you had you want to share with anybody that's listening, whether they're interested in being part of some branch or enlisting or anybody that's in currently that anything you would like to share? There's nothing wrong with with the military. It's regimented, yes, but they got better college programs than I had when I was in. You got better life insurance. And instead of looking at it as a military, you look at it like I did. It's a job. Somebody's got to do it. And I liked what I was doing and the job I had. And they said, well, what if I don't like this guy or that guy? Well, look at it this way. Sooner or later, one of you is going to be transferred to another duty station. That's true. And my attitude was I can be a pain in his rear end all the time I'm there. <laughs> I'm sure you probably were. Possibly. It's a job. Somebody's got to do it. And I liked what I did. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you for taking the time out today to talk to me a little bit about this and i do appreciate it and appreciate your time and service and what you did for our country we kind of have you and i have our own little tradition that we do together or that we've been doing together for the last i don't know what six years or so something like that and um so it's special to me and i appreciate that our own tradition being that for me on veterans day i always do free haircuts and I always ask you to come out to the salon and do a little 1111 uh, moment of silence with us. And um, I appreciate that every year and I look forward to it. And it's kind of our thing. I know that I was probably not the most fun child growing up and that I saw a lot of Master Chief at times. Me? But <laughs> at the same time. Um, yes, and you have a remark that you always say. 
I wouldn't go out that door if I were you. The Master Chief voices come out, and it wouldn't be a good idea. I have been known to say that, haven't I? Yes. Yes, I have. <laughs> but, you know, I, I appreciate everything that you've done for me and what you've done for our country, even things that nobody will truly ever understand or be able to comprehend. Um, that does not go unnoticed. And... I appreciate you again, like I was saying, for taking time out to be on the show with me today and sharing just a little bit of your experience. And I look forward to the next time that we get to do this. And you are always invited, I think, on my program. <laughs> so thank you. Well, I'm still doing what I've always been doing, helping veterans. Yes, you have been. And I think that will be in your blood until the day you die. Probably. Yep. Probably will. And thank you again for joining me on the special series honoring our women veterans with my dad wrapping everything up for us on this last day. And I hope that you thoroughly enjoyed the series. Let me know. Send me a message and tell me your thoughts. I would love to hear about that. And I will post pictures of my dad's experience throughout his 30 years in the, in the Navy. And that all can be found at theheraffairwithchristine.com. Going back to the question I asked you in the beginning. What are you going to do to help celebrate our veterans on a day like today? Just for a couple ideas, that could mean just showing up. If there's a parade in your area, show up to the Veterans Day Parade. If there's a wreath lane, go to the wreath lane. There's many ways that you can show your support, not just on this one day out of the year. You could also contact your local VFW. If you live in an area that has a VA hospital, that would be a great place to start too to figure out where you can be involved, even if it's just one day a month. Well, I hope that you have a great rest of your day. Remember your freedoms that we have today because of the people who served for us. We'll talk again tomorrow on Style of Sunday. See you then.